It's hard to stay sober in the city. Here's your sobriety assistant, Debbie Strand. We're back with more Sober in the City, and I'm Debbie Strand. We're talking about how did you know you needed help? How did you get it? How hard was the transition period and how much better is it now? We'll answer those questions and more. If you think you or someone you care about might have a problem with drugs, alcohol, food issues, sex, gambling, love addiction, give us a call. 800-SOBER-05. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us if you're staying sober, how you're doing it, or what's taking you back out if you can't stay sober. Tell us your opinion of all this stuff. I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. Visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on Sober in the City app for both Apple and Droid devices. Call us now, 800-SOBER-05. And now we're going to talk about how is it better. 800-SOBER-05. You know, it's not just that I have a great condo on the water in Florida. It's not that I drive a convertible. It's not that I have money in the bank, food in the refrigerator. All those things are important to me today, yes. But the most important things that I can have in my life is the relationship with others, a higher power, and a relationship with myself. Without those, I have absolutely nothing. And without love in my life today, without love, I am absolutely bankrupt. Today, I can let other people love me, and I can love other people. Ask someone on their deathbed, what should they have done more of? And I guarantee they're not going to talk about They should have worked longer hours. They should have gotten bigger houses. They're going to talk about wanting to have spent more time with the people that they love. Now, I could understand if they said that they wanted to have faster cars. I'm kind of a car fan myself. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's definitely about the relationships and the people in our lives. So we want to be really sure that the people that we bring into our lives and keep close to us are of quality people that we're able to love and that are able to love us and that are not going to bring us harm and hurt us. And I think that's very important, a very important part of my journey. But today, sober, much better, loving my life, do a lot of fun stuff. Check my Facebook, Debbie Strand. You can follow me and see that I am living a life sober and I am having fun. And you can too. We're going to talk to some other people and ask them, sober better? What's important? Is it the relationships with people or is it faster cars? (laughs) We're going to go to Rich. Rich is calling from San Jose, California. Rich, welcome to Sober in the City. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Talking about uh, sober better, what do you think? How's it worked out for you? Uh, well, I guess the best thing for me is uh, it's a little bit audible on my side of it, though. Uh, it sounds staticky, so I'm not sure if I'm going to come through clear, but let me know. Um, for me, uh, being available to my family and, and other people uh, is probably the best uh, gift that I have. Um, you know, it used to be a time where I wasn't... Um, available or accountable for any of my actions. And so I just was a little blind in, in going places and the, the values and ideas that I had thought were misconceptions of the world I had come from. Um, so I have a whole new outlook on things. So life has completely changed for me since, you know, uh, since I first got clean and sober, uh, you know, over uh, 14 years ago. Um, so it's like night and day, you know, and I could go on and on about the differences. Uh, it's very visible. A lot of uh, people, the, the differences in my life, because, you know, I went from being, uh, hopeless and, and homeless to, you know, uh, full of hope and, you know, uh, seemingly everything else has been taken care of. So, you know, I, I don't have much to say. It's simple, you know, in, in desperation, you know, I, uh, like I said, I was homeless and had, uh, 
you know, no hope of getting out. I always thought it was every other circumstances except for my drinking and using. And so I blamed a lot of uh, circumstances uh, related to, uh, you know, my background and where I'd come from, what my family dynamics were, you know, just my principles in general uh, were skewed. And so I did a lot of blaming. It never took um took responsibility for it. Now, you know, I think I had to be physically arrested. Uh, not just my disease had to, uh, my, my thinking had to be stopped for a minute, but I had to thaw out a little bit from the substance because there's no way I could have ever uh, just hoped myself into being clean. You know, I had to, I had to be arrested physically and uh, had to have all my freedoms taken away and I had to thaw out uh, my heart and my brain for a little bit. And then you know, some of the things, uh, and I think someone actually carried, uh, carried me a message when I was in a facility of hope, uh, you know, and, and kind of explained to me um, how they had got and, and had, uh, and had shown me some of their, their faith by their hope being experienced. Uh, and, and so that, that was um, attracting to me, you know, I wanted to, uh, wanted what they had, you know, which is a relationship with their family. I wanted to, you know, be trustworthy. I wanted all these things that this uh, medic carrier had given. Uh, and I believed him, you know, I came from a place where I didn't believe none of what I heard or only half what I saw. I didn't, not only did I not trust the people around me, uh, I didn't believe my own senses, you know? Um, and so that world didn't, didn't work very well for me. It fell apart on me. And somewhere someone carried that message of hope and, I believe by the grace of God, I was able to, um, you know, uh, believe them for just that moment. And my faith grew from some of my hope being realized, too. You know, uh, early on, it was like, hey, can I hope I get my driver's license back? Or I hope I, you know, could get a job. And then, you know, I started believing in that faith that, that uh, the program talked about a lot. Rich, I think your phone's cut off. Well, I think we lost Rich in the hills in San Jose. We're going to go to Debbie in Austin, Texas. Debbie, welcome to Sober in the City. Hi. Thanks for having me today, Deb. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. You hear what we were sharing about, and I'm sorry that Rich got cut off. I think he was carrying a really great message of having transitioned from being in jail and hearing someone bring in a message of hope and him seeing that in another person and saying, you know what? I want that. Deb, did you experience that? What's the difference in your life between how it was and how it is now? Oh, my God. I can taste black and white um instead of doing that 360 circles that i did standing in one place for 32 years today i get to walk forward um, with my head held high knowing that my purpose today is not to be the drug dealer and the bartender but to carry a message of hope and plant a seed that someone can just open their heart enough and be open-minded enough to hear that my experience um, has definitely changed my life. Uh, I came into the program at 46, and um, in May of May of 02, and thought that the only thing left for me was death, and that's really what I want. But I couldn't fathom leaving my child behind with my grandchildren, and I'm really grateful that um, I heard something about opportunities if I wanted to change my life. And uh, initially, I got busted and thought that my life was going to be um, jails and institutions. Um, but I was such good manipulators and con artists that I manipulated myself into treatment 
And when I was there, someone came in and carried the message. And the lady had a guitar and she was singing, and I knew it was all about me because it had been for 30 years, you know. And I, and I was still in that mindset of a victim role. Um, and something she sang in that song about angels with sneakers on their feet just penetrated my heart, and I could relate. And I, I grabbed that with all my gusto, and I've been running with it ever since. You know, the, the hope is there. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm a survivor um, of a desert disease that kills people every day. Um, the fact that I learned that it was a disease, that I'm not the black sheep, that I'm not the bad seed, but I'm one of my higher power's precious children. And he's got a plan for me. So invariably, the plan has come to fruition that I have a voice and I'm to use that voice to carry his message. And it doesn't matter where I'm at, um, I'm able to like the person inside my skin today. Whereas for a long time, I didn't want to be around people. I isolated. Uh, I was always like a pinball bouncing all over the place. Today, I'm more settled. Today, I have a roof over my head. I'm fully self-supporting. I have a wonderful boss. I've been at the same job for 10 years, which is honestly longer than I was ever at any job. Um, I think I maybe lasted a year or two, or maybe three, but nothing like this. Um, the maturity has, uh, I'm growing. I'm growing up in public. I have a fantastic support network of people within the fellowship. Um, this program has given me opportunity to travel. Um, I, I go to conventions all over the United States, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. Now, this is just one of the biggest gifts God has given me is a new life. It's different than I ever imagined, particularly with a purpose. Plant a seed, touch someone's heart, and have that higher power in my life that says I'm perfect in his eyes and believe it in my heart. Because I lived in my head for so long, it said I was a poor person, not a good mother. I couldn't be a wife. You know, I've reversed that down to my heart now, and that's where I've discovered love where my higher power is, who I choose to call God. And the blessings that I keep getting are just far, far exceed anything I ever dreamed. I work in a penthouse in downtown Austin with the capital is my backdrop and the river at the other side. Who would have thought? It's pretty incredible. Uh, I'm just graced by his goodness and the miracles continue to happen. You know, it's really incredible when you were sharing, I was sitting here thinking, yeah, you know, all we wanted to be was the bartender and the drug dealer. And, you know, here today, we were entrusted with saving other people's lives. The work that we do is to save lives. Amen. I mean, having that purpose has given me so much joy to watch another lady I'm working with and the spark in her eyes come on and she gets it. She sees that she is one of his children and that she does have a purpose. And that negativity that we've lived with for so long turns to a little ray of hope and then it just shines, it radiates through them. I, I just get so much joy working with women in particular. Yeah, but Deb, look at yourself. Look at what you're doing. You're making that happen. Yes, there's a God coming into their life. And yes, they're responsible for opening up their minds and taking a look at that work. But look at what you do. Look at how you help others. Isn't that incredible? You're reuniting families. 
giving children a chance of maybe not ending up with this thing because they're growing up with healthy parents? It's it's beautiful. I mean, there's no no words can describe that. You know, at two years sober, I thought the best thing God had planned for me to was run sober houses for women. So I stepped out on faith, and for seven and a half years, I was able to nurture, guide, share my experience, be a part of over 150 women. Forty of those are still sober. Now we'll have to say some didn't make it, and some have gone to the heavens. But for the most part, I know that God has worked through me, given me the vessel, using me as his vessel to help another. And what a gift. Oh, my God. I, I'm in awe and I got goosebumps, you know. I never thought I'd be that person. Instead of the dope dealer, I'm the hope dealer now. now you're the hope dealer. I love it. I love it. Hey, we got Rich back on the line. Hey, Rich, why don't you finish up um, uh, sharing with us where you were at? Because I was really enjoying what you were talking about. Uh, no problem. Yeah, I was just at the end. Sorry about that. My cell phone just totally shut down on me. So, yeah, you know, um, I think I was kind of at the end of my conclusion that, like I said, the, the person that carried the message um, carried a message to me uh, um, more about how to, um, to deal with myself, uh, how to deal with uh, uh, God and people. You know, those uh, things that I didn't know how to, how to do things for other people, you know, I didn't know. And not that he told me that all in one message, but he directed me where to go, and I believed him. And, uh, you know, and so therefore, you know, I was able to learn how to understand my, my own liabilities, uh, humble myself well enough to get um, some treatment. Um, because until, like I say, until my disease had, had a chance to be arrested, I really wouldn't have believed anything this guy would have said before anyway. So I had to have a thaw out period. Um, you know, that's all I can describe it as where my, my thinking and my heart had to, had to make a, a, a change to have a desire, you know, and that desire was, uh, it wasn't that I would have everything this guy had, it was more that, you know, I would be available to my kids. I really wanted Every time I got arrested, I really wanted to be uh, an available father. So if I came from a broken home, you know, my father was uh, my father was killed when I was about eight, and you know, I came from a family of heroin addicts, you know, so I had this real skewed way of, of thinking. But I also blamed all that stuff on all the reasons why I behaved the way I did. Um, but it was just learned behavior, but it was all fake, you know, it was all false. The, the world of drugs and alcohol taught me all these lies. Uh, that worked well in that world, you know, and, and this guy had kind of showed me some, uh, some new principles, you know, how to trust, um, how to blindly trust, uh, you know, was, was hard for me, you know, how do you trust other people, what they say, but something about this particular messenger, uh, he was very clear in his eyes and I could see that he had no him and he described, uh, how he, he did what he did because he wanted to keep what he had. And uh, I didn't understand that process and keeping myself um, sober or clean, you know, would help me. But I practice those same things that the guy was showing me today. You know, I continue to kind of go and do service for uh, the fellowship I'm in. And I continue to, uh, you know, work with other people. I still need a sponsor. I still need God. I still need help uh, from other people. I haven't, like, cured myself. Um so, you know, I still, when people ask me to be of assistance, I'm there. So thank you for asking me, Debbie. That's about all I have to say. 
Well, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for sharing all that. And thanks for calling it back. <laughs> Debbie, do you want to, um, Debbie, would you like to add to that? I just, I, I understand where he's coming from because we're all needing guidance from someplace and having a higher power or God in our life is definitely, you know, it says in the big book that we're all beyond human aid. And once I accepted that and that there was a power greater than myself, my whole life has just, oh, I, it's better than I ever imagined, ever, ever. I tell people that I run into that have less than a year to write a list of what they imagine their life would be at five years and write out what do they think that that would look like and just stick it in a box somewhere and go back at five years and see how you cheated yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible, Debbie. It's incredible. I mean, I, I want for nothing. I don't need anything. But things just keep coming my way. My daughter is my best friend. My grandchildren, they want to be around me. Um, they include me on family vacation. That would have never happened if I was still in my disease. How neat is that? I know, right? First of all, you wouldn't have even wanted to go, and they would definitely not want you around. They wouldn't have wanted me around, that's for sure. <laughs> they used to call me Wild Aunt Debbie. <laughs> not good. Well, I can tell you some of the things they used to call me, but <laughs> I'm graced that they call me by my name, and my grandbabies love me, and they tell me that all the time. My granddaughter's never seen me messed up. My grandson, he was young. He was two or three. And, you know, it just uh, horrifies me at, at the way I left him at that age. But today he is my favorite, and he knows who loves him. And I know what love is today. That's the biggest blessing of this whole program. Isn't that amazing? Love, I do, too. It's great. It's really great. We're going to yeah. bring in uh, Lori. Lori's calling from Minnesota. Lori, how are you? Welcome to Sober in the City. Hey, I'm doing good. How's everybody else? We're good. We're good. We're just loving life and being happy over here. <laughs> Tell us about your journey. Nice. Uh, Great it, story. Yeah, share with us some. Well, I, uh, you know how they say that you you are born with this disease. That you know, I I believe that I had a purpose when I was born into this world. That this was the life that I was supposed to have was to be an alcoholic addict. Um, from the get-go, I you know, just felt like that was my destiny. And, um, you know, I grew up with a mom who was practicing alcoholic addict. addict and um, I didn't feel like I had a choice. And that's what I was being taught. And I was always told, you know, uh, we have alcoholics in the family. It's hereditary. Just watch what you do. Just careful and so you know i, I kind of always had that as a as a excuse you know oh we're all just alcoholics anyways so might as well just go with it so you know i i overdosed on codeine when i was three i my first hangover i think i was six. Oh my god it, it was ever present everything wow. was always ever present it was, it was my life that's what i knew and uh, 13, I was out the gate, straight out blackout, didn't drink to be social or to be cool. I drank specifically to blackout. And that was my teenage years. So I hit 17. I got pregnant, had my daughter, and my, my views changed. Um, you know, I didn't really necessarily stop, but I kind of held back a little bit because I wanted something different. To, 
I didn't want the same things for her. Um, 19, my ex-husband introduced me to Beth, and I was kind of off and running. Uh, little did I know that my mom was into it also, and I kind of hooked up with her. She was my best friend. You know, even even through everything that we went through, she was still my best friend through everything. But she also taught me, you know, her ways of life, the way that she thought things should work. And um, through all of that, it took me 10 years to uh, stop using. I was 29, and I hit my bottom. I just didn't want to live anymore. And by this time, I had three little kids that, Oh, they needed their mom. They didn't really have anybody else their dad used. And, and I had to fight for my sobriety, literally, with my ex-husband. Uh, he didn't want me to go get sober because what using buddy wants their partner to get sober. You know, you want to be miserable? Let's be miserable together. And I was just tired of being miserable and didn't want that anymore. And I didn't know any other way to end it but to end my life. And I was ready to give in and I for some reason was just listening to my God oh God and he told me this isn't it there's another way so I went to treatment I went into outpatient inpatient treatment and you know I relapsed once and uh, went back again and I've been over over eight years since then but it's work. It's a lot of work, you know, and I never felt like I ever accomplished anything in my life, but I, I did accomplish that. You know, I, I'm breaking the cycle. I'm the one that's making the change. My kids see a difference. They know, you know, they don't know me sober. Or they don't know me high. You know, all they've seen is sober. I've had two more babies since then. I've remarried. Um, you know, I I look up to my higher power for a lot of things. I mean, my mom uh, was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago, and I was sober, and I was able to be the daughter that was able to take care of her and be there for her through all of that. And what would that have looked like back in the day when you were drinking and doing crystal meth and all the other things that you were doing? How would that have gone down with your mother being sick? And you not being available. I wouldn't have been there. I, I was not accountable for anything. You know, everything was my time. I hid. I used. I hid. I didn't want to be around anybody. Didn't want to do anything that consisted of anything other than getting high. I just, I would not have been there for her. And what uh, would that have done to you in the long run? Oh, uh, that would have devastated me. You know, eventually, after you know. I would have continued using. I probably would have killed myself because, you know, I didn't do the right thing. And what what better way to drown your feelings than to stay high when you don't know any other way? You know, learning to live life over was difficult, but it is worth it. It's so worth it. I mean, there are other people that benefit from, you know, everyone else being sober. You can hear stories testimonies and relate be like wow that's my story she's totally my story so I mean there's always always a way and I just feel that you know having faith and trusting is 
huge because you don't trust ever anybody. I mean, I couldn't even trust my own mom. How could I trust anybody? Well, we didn't trust ourselves, so we had no way to know how to trust others because we couldn't trust our own judgments. We couldn't discern. Right. Well, and I felt, you know, that's how I grew up. So I grew up not trusting anybody anyways. That was just a given. Well, if your parents were high in your home, you couldn't trust anyone. Yeah. I was always leery of everybody from the time I was little, little. Yeah, I could imagine. Sounds about right. Debbie and Rich, do you want to share on that how it would be impossible to trust someone when you're growing up in a house full of people that are using? Well, you know, I think you learn some uh, unwritten uh, principles in a world like that, that that, you know, aren't completely in vain in the in the real scheme of things. Uh, I came from a similar type household. Like I said, I came from heroin addicts and uh and alcoholics, and so, you know, at any given time, like one time they drug a guy out to the back for high, you know, and the guy OD'd, and they didn't want the cops to mess up their high. So as a, you know, eight, nine-year-old kid, to see that, it's like, okay, well, you learn not to trust cops, you know? Wow. Um, but I think the other thing for me, you know, trust I've learned is really just a, uh, the absence of uh, fear, you know, and because I was a kid that lived in fear of, um, you know, what not to say in the right places, when to say it, you know, uh, I didn't trust anybody because I was afraid that everybody could, you know, uncover who I really was. And um, I think most the core of my disease really stems from fear um, because then I become dishonest and, you know, all these other principles that have nothing to do with my drug use at all it really just has to do with my character on how I process normal day-to-day things, you know? So seemingly, um, you know, trusting to walk to the park with my kids, with my stroller, uh, you know, I was afraid to do that because I thought someone would, you know, know that I was high, you know? And so I was afraid I lived in fear. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Fear is the base of all of it. It all boils down to fears. Thank you, Rich, Debbie, and Lori for being with us here today at Sober in the City. Wherever there is breath, there is hope. Never give up and never quit fighting. Please support our advertisers so we can continue to bring you Sober in the City and visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for both Apple and Android devices. Please support the Freedom from Addiction Foundation at FFAFoundation.com. Put a dollar in the basket today. And Until next week, I'm Debbie Strand, one day at a time, staying sober in the city.
or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Let the Freedom From Addiction Foundation assist you with our acclaimed intervention and recovery coaching services. For a very affordable fee, we can set up and perform on-site interventions, ongoing treatment supervision, and personalized recovery and life coaching services. We are local, we are a nonprofit group, and we can work within your financial parameters by accepting most major credit cards and working with or without your insurance. Call today, 1-877-876-2329. 1-877-876-2329. Again, that's 1-877-876-2329. Are you a suffering addict or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Recovery starts with one phone call. Call the Freedom From Addiction Foundation today. 877-876-2329.